Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you please, and open them to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Living with a Healthy Fear of God. And there really isn't any struggle or any difficulty in your life. There really isn't any temptation you won't be able to overcome with a little healthy fear of the Lord in your life. A, a, a reverence of awe and respect for who God is, the supreme, all-sufficient one, the one who is omnipresent, the one who is omnipotent. I think that there are, there is probably more fear of man among us than there is the fear of God. And so much will be brought into order in your life with a healthy choice to fear God and to trust him with our lives and to recognize that consequences follow sinful behavior, and to recognize that we have been given all the power necessary through the grace of God, by His Spirit, to live a life that pleases Him, to live a life that honors Him. And yet we find over and over again in our study of the kings, most of them failed miserably and abandoned God. And so notice in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow the king of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. The first thing I notice is we have another king and another nine years of evil among the people. Another evil king, another, another nine years of evil leadership. And then there is this king of Assyria that comes up against him. Hoshea in verse 3 becomes his vassal. And the king of Assyria uncovered this conspiracy. Because these are real governments. Uh, these are real governments filled with real people. And so there's a conspiracy by, and, at, at foot. And it says that he sent messengers to sow the king of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So on, on the side, the king is looking to align himself with Egypt. He's looking for some help. He's looking for, so he uses money, as we've seen before, to try to buy the kind of help that he's looking for. But the king of Egypt is no help because he gets thrown in prison. And right at the outset, I'm reminded, and we must be reminded, and I wonder who this is for. I wonder who needs to hear this now. And here's the truth. 
it's something I think, you know, we're here, we'll hear it tonight, but it's like something we have to learn ongoing, and it's simply this. Looking to man for help is empty and fruitless. Trusting man to deliver us. I mean, you look to the king of Egypt. Surely he'll deliver, but there's always someone stronger, and the king of Egypt's in, thrown in jail. What's he going to do to help you? The Bible says it this way, Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. This is a solid theme throughout the Bible and so needed in our lives. When will we learn that man is no real help? Now, I'm not talking about how God uses the body of Christ to encourage one another, to help one another. I'm not, I'm not speaking about the family of a church or the ability to help someone in times of need. That's not the kind of help I'm looking for or I'm describing. What I'm speaking of is simply putting your trust in man and not in God. Trusting in the word of man and not in God. In Psalm 20, verse 7, it says... Some trust in chariots and some of horses. And this is really speaking of military might. It's speaking of political power. Some people trust in men. The amount of chariots, the amount of tanks, the amount of armaments, the amount of the military you have. Some people trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God because disappointment and consequences await you and await me when we place our trust in man when we place our trust in man's power and in our own limited resources. Would you turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 with, for a moment, please? If you haven't memorized the scripture in a while, would you please put these verses to memory? Would you please trust in the Lord with all your heart? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Put these in, into your heart. Memorize them. Write them down on a three by five card and begin to memorize them. Put them in your back pocket. Bring it out when you're waiting in the line or you're at the market. And learn, verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's possible for us to trust our own resources before, you know, we think of maybe trusting another man, but the temptation is also to trust in our own resources, in our own understanding, in our own power. And the Bible says, don't do it. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what's the promise? He shall direct your paths. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. What happens when you put your trust in the king of Egypt and he's thrown in jail? Then who do you trust? Who do you turn to next? Learn to trust in the Lord. Verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah by the harbor and the river Gozan and in the city of Medes. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that they had feared, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel, 
and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And notice verse 9. Also the children of Israel, mark that word, secretly, secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations had done whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. I mean, verse 12 is like a clear indication. God said, don't do this. And that's what they did. Can't that be the banner of your life at times? God said, don't do this. And that's what we choose to do. And that's where they are here. Verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, namely every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent you by the servants, the prophets. I mean, God was faithful to send messenger after messenger. When the kings weren't following God, when the priests weren't following God, God would raise up a messenger, a prophet, to send a strong message because they weren't listening. They weren't listening to the leaders. The leaders weren't leading. They weren't listening. And even when the prophets came, they rejected the prophets. Nevertheless, verse 14, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They acted like unbelievers. And we'll get that to that in a moment. The children of God were acting like unbelievers. They stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not, they were acting like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So, verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. The judgment of God through the nation of Assyria finally comes upon Israel. And the Assyrians were known to take nations captive. Captivity was normal for them. It was their way of conquering a nation as they would bring the people back into the area and assimilate them into their own pagan culture. And the primary goal of captivity was to remove any national identity and to truly assimilate them. And Israel was scattered in many different places so that they would not gain greater numbers to rebel and over, overthrow. Notice in verse 9 that it says that the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. Now, is there any such thing as a secret sin? Yes or no? Now, sometimes we think that is yes. Sometimes we believe that we can keep a secret from someone close to us. We can keep a secret from our friends at church. 
we can keep some secret sin from those that are important to us and we'll come to a false conclusion, if that's you, that there is such a thing as secret sin. And I guess in relationship, in human relationships, you can keep something secret for a season. For a season. But before the eyes of God, nothing is missed. We've learned that in the book of Hebrews. Nothing is hidden before God. Nothing is truly a secret. Things get revealed. Things come out. It's only a matter of time. The the Bible speaks of the warning to us that be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Many people misinterpret that into thinking that God is just kind of running you down, checking things out, and God will find you out. No, actually, God already knows. It's not that God will find you out, because when you and I sin, we sin before a holy and a righteous God. It's that your sin will find you out, that it will be revealed, that nothing will be hidden before God. And even though the Bible describes this secret sin that they did against the Lord, we see from the rest of the revelation that God knew and he brought judgment upon the people. It says, notice in verse 14 again, nevertheless they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers that did not believe. You've got to mark that. Mark that phrase. We have an example in the Bible here of believers in the Old Covenant followers of God that acted like unbelievers. And you say, Ed, where is that in the New Testament? Is that even possible? Is it possible for you to be a follower of God and yet in your behavior act like an unbeliever? The answer is yes. Let me show you. Would you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When you choose to harden your heart toward God, when you choose to resist the grace of God, when you choose to become pridefully arrogant toward the things of God, you will begin to act like an unbeliever. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to a church in the city of Corinth, notice what he writes, verse 1. And I, brethren... He's speaking to the brethren and the sistren, brothers and sisters. (laughs) I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, And divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Then he gets into the exact things. Uh, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So, verse 7, Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. The issue in the life of the Corinthians, the issue with anyone that is a true born-again believer that's acting like an unbeliever is an issue of maturity. Spiritual 
maturity. Paul would write to the church in Corinth rebuking them for their carnality. Now, in our everyday language, carnal has come to mean something way over the edge, sexually sinful. A better word to translate carnal here would be fleshly. A better word would be, well, notice how the New Living Translation translates this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. And you are still aren't ready for you're still controlled by your own sinful desires. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your own desires? You're not acting like people who don't belong to the Lord. Excuse me. You are acting like people who don't belong to the Lord. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I prefer Apollos, aren't you acting like those who are not Christians? And the answer is yes. You see, we're not to put our hope in man. We're not to follow man. We're not to elevate men's words above God's words. We're not to have preferences when it comes to the men and the women that God sends into our lives to speak the truth and to teach us and to guide us and to lead us. As Paul would say later on, he says, aren't we just all ministers? And that word translated ministers speaks of the under rower, the doulos. Aren't we all just servants? Isn't that what we are, church? Amen or amen? There is no other choice. It's either amen or amen. We're just servants. The difference between us truly is not that we're not, none of us here are not servants in Christ. The difference between us is simply areas of responsibility. The difference of what God has entrusted to us. The differences of what God wants to accomplish in and through our lives for the sake of his glory, for the growth of his kingdom. God isn't interested in growing any particular church. God is interested in growing the kingdom. He isn't interested in us just being only interested and, and you know, God isn't always just kind of keeping us only interested within this little circle of what we know as our home church, but to have a heart to fill heaven and what is God going to do through our lives. And so for us to prefer, well, you know, I like this guy and I don't like that guy and I, the Bible says, be careful. When you start talking like that, when you start thinking like that, Aren't you just like an immature baby that needs to be fed milk? When it's the Lord that gives the increase? When it's God that does the work? A carnal person is someone that's dominated by their flesh. Or I like how uh, it's written in the New Living Translation, like you're just in the world. You're just a worldly person. And sometimes we, we think of the phrase worldly person, we try to identify what's well, this music in this place. No, it's your behavior and your connection to the things of God. And yes, it's possible for a believer to act like an unbeliever. Spiritually mature believers, spiritually mature men and women don't divide over people. They don't become envious. They don't cause divisions. Spiritually mature men and women don't cause problems. They're too busy feasting on the rich truths of the scriptures and putting them into practice. They're too busy caught up in the love and the mercy of gra of, and grace of God, serving him and loving him and enjoying him. Just caught up in all that he's doing and will do. 
And yet, I have to say this can be a problem for all of us. Taking in, but not applying. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. The truth is, is that you can come to the knowledge of the truth by faith in Jesus Christ. That knowledge puffs up, but it's love that edifies. Love is the true measure of maturity. Love is the true measure of relationship. Spiritual immaturity is a big issue among followers of Jesus Christ. Spiritual immaturity, this lack of spiritual growth over time, just drags down the progress of a person and sometimes drags down the progress of those around them. It says, notice in verse 1, lest you are unconvinced that believers can act like unbelievers, he addresses them, number one, as brethren. He wanted to speak to them as spiritual And they are referred to as what? Babes where? In Christ. Did you see that at the end of verse 1? Babes in Christ. It's immaturity. Paul is speaking and rebuking believers based on their behavior, what they're saying, how they're acting. And I just, I share that and refer to verse 1 again because there are just some today that say, oh, no, no, believers can't be carnal. Yes, believers can be carnal. Yes. I would even say, go, to far, go as far to say is that when you choose to sin, you are carnal, fleshly, in that moment. That's the reality of the situation. That we have left the meat of the word. You know, many people interpret the meat of the word You know, as we even use the terminology around here, we like to be fed God's word. We like to be fed a meal. I love that terminology. So sometimes we'll carry that over and go, well, the meat of the word are the deeper things, the secret things, things that I've never learned before. I've never heard that before. No, no. If somebody lays before you something that you've never heard before, there's probably a good reason for that. It's not worth hearing. There's nothing new. There's nothing new that hasn't been revealed to you already in the scriptures. And so it's anything that comes across as, oh, this is the doctrine you've been waiting for. You, you have, it's just, it's, it's like the Colossians were dealing with the Gnostics. Uh, they, they had, the Gnostics had this sense of secret wisdom, and this is the only place you can get it. And if you don't have it, they kind of make you feel like you're left out. Listen, when you were saved and born again, you were given all things by faith in Jesus Christ. God wasn't holding anything out on you. He didn't go deep, go deep, dig, dig in, and just study, 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 and one day you might finally mine that little sliver of gold. You might get that little gold nugget. I don't know if you guys have seen this on on television, on cable, but there's this show where these guys go diving in the Alaskan waters looking for gold. I think it's, I don't even know what it's called, looking for gold in Alaska, whatever it's called, I don't know. 
but, but they chronicle these guys that have these barges or whatever, and they go out and they dive in frigid water and they're sucking up dirt, sucking up dirt, sucking up dirt. Hopefully they'll find the mother load. Everybody's looking for the mother load and they usually come up, you know, with a couple ounces and they can't pay their bills. And then you're hope, oh, I hope next season they paid their bills and came back. And you're like, bro, it's not going to happen. And yet it's that elusiveness of maybe next year, maybe next season, maybe next license, maybe a new part of the waters, maybe this. It's always every single time, maybe, maybe. We're not going to fail this time. We're not going to fail this time. We're going to become the millionaires that we are. And you know what? Every season, every time it's on, they're still not millionaires, still not millionaires. And even the people that have these big barge deals that do find millions, they pour all the money back in for what? so they can find more millions. It's a never elusive search, never ending search for the gold. People treat the Bible like that. I'm gonna study, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna study. And I heard this this new YouTube video over here. Okay, let's go follow him. And there's this new Israeli thing over here. Okay, let's go follow them. And there's new thing, okay, let's go follow them. Just open your Bible and start reading it. It's all right there. You don't need to go anywhere. God has everything for you. You don't even need a pastor to teach you. The Holy Spirit will make the Bible come alive if you will just open it and ask him to help you understand it. So here's the thing. There are those that are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There are those that have to leave the meat of the word and go back to milk. And so, Ed, what's the meat of the word? The meat of the word is doing what you've learned. It's not some deep hidden knowledge somewhere, some new doctrine, some new thing that you can use and oh, here it is. And you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. I think it was Norman Geisler that taught us that the old is revealed in the new. The Old Testament's revealed in the new and the New Testament is hidden in the old. You have everything you need right here in the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And, and there are nuances and there are doctrines, there are things to learn but we don't want to fall into the trap of always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. What is the knowledge of the truth? A deep, growing, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ where he lives his life through you and you make an impact in your community in the brief amount of time that we're on the earth. That's the meat. It's not some juicy doctrine that, oh, wow, brand new. Hey, you find something new, it probably isn't so new. It's probably not. And, and so we want to be in a place where we move forward from being a baby, being a new believer. You know, like a baby, someone has to pamper them, burp them, constantly counsel them, explaining the same things over and over and over again. Where it's the same issues over and over again. And, and eventually, you know, you come up for prayer and we pray with you. And we say, why don't you do this? Okay, pastor. And you come up another week and we pray with you. And what's going on? Well, you know, I fell into that. And we say, okay, we pray with you. We say, why don't you do this? And then you come up another week and we pray with you and we want you to do this. And, and the real question is, why aren't you doing the counsel that you were given? You're given the same counsel every single week, every single time. It's the same scripture. It's the same truth. It's the same place. The Lord wants you to walk in victory. The Bible declares that victory is already yours by faith. God is not leading you to victory. He's leading you from victory. It's yours. 
Do you want, you want victory over anger? It's yours in Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You want victory over addiction? The Bible says where the, where, where if, the, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that. The Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's what the Bible says. Today, right now. You want to be free? Well, the Son sets you free. And if the Son set you free, what are you? Free indeed. And, and for the moment, let's just say this. For the moment you're listening to this Bible study, you're not smoking pot, you're not doing a line of coke, you're not shooting up heroin, and you're not taking a drink unless I can't see you. You're not drinking in here. So guess what? For the moment you're listening to the Bible study, hey, you're free. You're free. So why don't you listen to more Bible studies? You'll be free. And God is showing you for an hour. You see, what's happened, though, is that your body appetites they start to rise up. Your mind starts to play tricks. Then you believe you just can't move on without this. You can't move on without this. You can't live without this. And in the weakness of your flesh, in unbelief, living like an unbeliever, you go back like the children of Israel here to idolatry. And you turn to drugs and alcohol. You turn to anger and frustration. You turn to control. Whatever it is that gives you some temporary peace and satisfaction. It's temporary. It is so temporary. It doesn't last. That's why the cycle of addiction continues because it doesn't last. That's why the, the amount of drugs and alcohol you have to pour down your system increases because your tolerance is built up against it and it just doesn't last. It's, it's a form of idolatry. Uh, turning to someone or something to give you the kind of peace and satisfaction as we've been learning that's already yours by faith. Peace is there. But we're not satisfied with peace for the moment. It's almost as if we say, God, I want peace, but give it to me for the year. Give it to me for two years. Lord, I'll follow you if you just give me peace of mind for two years. And God says, I will give you peace of mind for two years. You believe me by faith. And every moment you believe, you get a moment of peace. No, 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 Lord, that's not what I asked for. I want you to deliver it. It's like the children of Israel, if you recall, coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, going to battle the enemy. I don't know about you, but if I'm battling the enemy, I want to get it done right now. I don't want it to last forever. If I'm going to do battle, let's just do it in one big, let's just get it over with. Let's just pull off the band-aid. Let's just jump into the pool. Let's just go fight the battles and get it over with and get it behind me. But what did God tell the children of Israel? He said, I will not drive out the enemy all at once. But he said what? Little by little, I'll drive out the enemy from before you. Why? Basically because if I drove out the enemy before you all at once, you couldn't handle it little by little. And that's a great description, I believe, of the life of faith, the life of trust. It's little by little. Some of you are believing God right now second by second. Praise God for that. That's just where you're at. Second by second, there's a conscious decision to trust God in your current situation. Others of you are minute by minute. Others of you might think 15 minutes every 15, 20 minutes every hour perhaps that you're at a stronger place in your faith. But no matter where you are, your life is dependent upon the sufficiency of God's power in your life. It's not by might. 
and it's not by my power, but what? It's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how the mountain in front of you is going to move. That's where victory comes. It's by his spirit and his power. And believe me, you want to be sober, you want to be clean, you want to be a strong believer, you want to make a difference for the things of God, you want to be delivered, God wants it more for you. Imagine how much you want it, how much success you want to experience, how much victory you want to enjoy. Imagine just how desperate you get at times. God desires it more for you than even you do because he loves you and he wants to see you walk in freedom. I was just speaking to a dad today who and their family are going through a very tremendous, difficult time with one of their children. And they've had to make some very difficult decisions. And this isn't what they raised their son to be. This wasn't the high hopes that they had for this season of their life at this time. And God has brought them down from a place of running to a place of second-by-second dependence where they're just crying out moment-by-moment for the strength to walk in the Spirit and to pray for their boy that the Lord might do a great work. And I'm certain there are other situations in, in the reach of my voice where God is allowing circumstances to remind you. It could be just like, if you come back with me to Second Kings, it could be like these folks that were idolatrous and they, they willfully chose, they thought they were doing it in secret, but they weren't doing it in secret. And now Assyria's coming. Babylon's gonna be right behind them. The judgment of God is coming for their idolatry, for their lack of obedience. And Assyria now has come. And let's just examine for a moment. Come back with me in chapter 17, beginning in verse 13. Sometimes it's good to pause. You know, when you're doing your devotions, you kind of read through and you got a chapter, three chapters, and you're reading through. Sometimes it's really good to pause and reread a chapter and just kind of see, are there words that jump out? Are there verbs and actions to see? Actions to mimic, actions to avoid. And so notice, point by point, the testimony of God against Israel. Listen, verse 13, it says that they turned from his commandments, they turned from his commandments to evil ways because they were called, they were told to turn away from evil and come back to the commandments. Look at verse 14. They would not, they refused to hear. They stiffened their necks. Notice verse 15. They rejected the truth. They also rejected their covenant that they made with him. Notice, it says, uh, they rejected his testimonies. They became idolaters. It says in verse 15, they followed after idols. They lived and became like all the nations around them. There was no distinction. The whole point of coming out of Egypt and laying before them Deuteronomy and Leviticus was to bring distinction. Now there's no distinction in them. They're even causing their kids to go through the fire, sacrificing their kids. It says in verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. It says that they made molden image and two calves. Verse 16, it says they worshiped the, all the host of heaven, which is all, they started re- worshiping like in Romans, the creation over the creator. Notice in verse 
17, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked him to anger. And thus, God brought judgment upon them. And Judah, verse 19, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is this day. So Judah too rebelled against God, following the poor example of those in Israel. And this brought the rejection of God to them. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so Israel's carried away to Assyria, and Assyria started to possess the promised land. The enemy stole what belongs to God. Earlier we saw how the king stole what belongs to God and tried to buy off protection. And now because of bad leadership, now the enemy of God is stealing and possessing the land that belongs to God. That's what it says, notice in verse 24. It says in verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Chutha, Ava, Hamath, and from the Shepharim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. Notice, they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. That's always the end result of willful disobedience. That which belongs to God will be stolen by the enemy. Things that belong to God in your life will be taken. They took it like it was theirs. They just come in and took possession. They ate food that they didn't plant. They lived in houses they didn't build. And they enjoyed the blessings and benefits of God's land, but did not acknowledge the God of heaven. And they entered in without a fear of God. And they didn't care. Notice verse 25. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them and killed some of them. Okay, that's not a good ending. Uh, that would be the title, Fear God or Watch Out for the Lions. That's like... This is a real deal. It's the wildness of the land. It's a natural consequence of taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's going to eat you up, devour you. Verse 26, so they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them and indeed they're killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Because remember during this day, the belief was that there were localized deities in each little area. So when they say, they're not speaking of the God of, of heaven, they're just like, hey, we don't know what's going on, how the gods work in this particular land. And because they didn't know how the gods work, you know, the lions, the, the false deities sent lions after them. So notice in verse 28. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own, put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities that they dwelt. So they enter in without a fear of God, they pay the ultimate price. Verse 30, 
The men of Babylon made Succoth, but Binoth, the men of Cuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and all the Sepharites burned their children in fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests to the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from whom among they were carried. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow the statutes or the ordinances of the law and the commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Israel, or excuse me, of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Verse 35. With whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever, and you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of your enemies. Excuse me, from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their cardinages. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. An interesting contrast. It says that they feared the Lord, but not in a spiritual way, because spiritually they did what they wanted to in their own eyes. I think practically there was a fear because of the lions and the consequences, but they still did what they wanted to do. I think that it's vital for us to remember in the context of what we're learning today that not everybody that says they're saved is actually saved. That may be hard for you to believe, but not everybody says they're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, is actually a real born-again believer. And you want to make sure that you're saved. You want to make sure that when you refer to having a healthy fear of God in your life, that you're truly fearing God. And it's not just an emotional response. It's not just an emotional response to your circumstances. You go through something, right? You go through something difficult. You go through something like a crisis. And I mean, one of the first places, whether it was your grandmother or your parents, or maybe you heard on a radio station or your neighbor, you know, you go through a crisis, you turn to God, which is not a bad thing to do. You go through a crisis, you need to call out to the God who can rescue and save you. But a lot of times, that rescuing and saving is, is really just conditional. And so you're like, I'm in a big bind right now, God, so get me out. Get me out of jail. Bring my spouse back. Help me get a job. Help me with this difficulty financially. Whatever it might be, God, I cry out to you. And you might even make this commitment to God. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you all the days of my life. I mean, I think turning to God in a crisis is a great thing. And I think turning to God in a crisis and meaning it is really a great thing. And truly submitting yourself. Don't let this be you. Oh, yeah, you know, there was a fear of God in them, but they're still idolaters. There was an appearance 
uh, fear of God. Because, you know, coming into a church, everybody, you can learn the lingo really quick. You know, you can carry a Bible and, and learn a few Christian words. And, and you can make it look like, and we're going to learn this in Hebrews, you can make it look like you're a true believer. But you know, we don't know, because it takes a little bit of a time for that to be revealed. We don't know right away. So we watch and we wait. Because Jesus said that a good tree is going to bear good fruit. Do you know Jesus said that? Doesn't that make sense? Good fruit comes from a good tree. And he also said a bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. And that just takes time. And I found over the years, you know, my heart's desire, it's always been, you know, as we're ministering in different situations, uh, come to this conclusion. Maybe you've come to this conclusion with people in your life, but I just come to this conclusion. If they just spent a 10% of all the energy and effort they do to pretending to be a believer, to just following God, they'd be amazing. You know, just trying to keep up the air and, you know, trying to remember who they lied to, who they took advantage of, and trying to play the game. It doesn't last. The world is into playing games, but God is into reality. He is reality. And it's only a matter of time where maybe the testimony of your life is, you know, people will know you, oh, that guy fears the Lord. And I'm like, I don't know. And then, and then you're like, well, who are you to judge? Hey, I'm not judging. I'm waiting. Don't be so quick. Well, you know, he knows a few scriptures. Yeah, I see that. I've heard that. Oh, he shows up at all the meetings. Yeah, I know, I've seen that. But man, I just don't see real fruit in him. I just don't, man, I've seen guys like that come through before. I've seen gals like that come through before. I've seen them come into a church and kind of try to make, and it praise God that if they're not going to repent and submit themselves to the Lord, they don't last very long. That a healthy church will purge out its poison. That a healthy church filled with healthy believers won't fall for the act. Oh, you might be fooled the first time, but not the second or the third time. As you have that, remember, remember we were learning in 1 Corinthians, you have the Holy Spirit will show up in your life with that manifestation of the discerning of spirits, or what I like to call the Holy Spirit alarm. And you're just like, I don't know, something's not right. Well, what is it, Ed? I, I don't know. I'll tell you when I find out. It's just not right. Just something doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem to fit. And so here you have a bunch of idolaters, but they feared the Lord. They have that description. Peter puts it this way, and this is where we'll close. Therefore, brethren, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me just say, it's good to know that you know that you're saved. And God wants to give you that assurance. You don't always have to be guessing. You don't always have to be wondering. But I mean, man, if you're, you know, you're all in kind of whacked out idolatry and you like it and you enjoy it, but you want to be in a church environment and pretend, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for you. I don't know the condition of your heart, but what I see doesn't look good. What I hear about doesn't look good. When God saves, he saves, and he begins the work on the inside first, but the inside work will always manifest itself in an outside work. 
God does the work inside that naturally leads to a change on the outside. The timing is different for all of us. We're all in that process of being changed into the image of Christ. But you want to see and know that you know that you're saved. And that God would do a great work in you. Ministering the gospel to you. You know, if you're looking at your life right now and you see uselessness and barrenness, maybe you've forgotten what Jesus has done for you. And just need to recall the goodness of the Lord in your life. Know that he's chosen you for his good pleasure. It's essential for your spiritual growth. God chooses and God saves and God secures and God works in us. You know, when you follow the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was always gentle and careful with those that were afflicted by their own sins. Did you notice that? I mean, I think of the woman that was caught in the midst of adultery. He spoke both truth and grace to her. I mean, what an embarrassing, shameful, horrific moment in this woman's life to be abused by the spiritual leaders of the day so that they could set up someone else. It's just a vicious, wicked sin that was perpetrated upon this woman. And so they bring her in all of the the disgustingness of being caught in the midst of the act and they thrust her down before Jesus expecting him to join in on the rampant condemnation. But he doesn't do that. With those that are caught and afflicted by their own sins, he was gentle. He, He was firm, but he was gentle and loving and caring. Others were ready to stone her. Jesus was ready to forgive her. But you'll notice also in the ministry of Jesus Christ with the religious, those that wanted to put up an air, those that wanted to to say they were something but they really weren't, those that he described as being whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I mean, he gave it to them. He laid into them. Today it seems like it's the opposite in the church of Jesus Christ today. For the religious and the pious and the phonies, they get all the respect. They get, but, but for the ones that are hurting, those that are captive to their sin, those that are straying, those that the world has destroyed, which, by the way, lest you forget, weren't you there not too long ago? Oh, maybe it was 30 years ago, but 30 years, man, like, praise God that he saved you. But wasn't it 30 years and a second ago that you were jacked up? Whenever you were saved, I don't know what it was. Like, man, if it wasn't for your godly heritage in your home, you wouldn't be saved. If it wasn't for God sending someone into your life, you wouldn't be saved. If it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be saved. So isn't it good to express? Amen. Isn't it good to express the love of Jesus Christ to those that are afflicted? And isn't it good to get up in the grill of those hypocritical uh, fake believers and say, hey, man, get right. Stop taking advantage of people. Stop lying. Church, it seems like the opposite is being done today. And may the Holy Spirit minister to us. Those that come repentant and broken, we're to comfort them. Because Jesus heals the brokenhearted, restores the relationship. But those that come prideful and arrogant and haughty, affliction comes to them. It's not easy. You know, I see behaviors in people's lives just like reckless, abandoned sin. I'll ask. So don't be offended if it happens to be you. I hope it's none of you. It's everybody that's not here right now. So hopefully it's not you. But I'll, I'll look you in the eye and say, are you even saved? Well, how your response is, is going to tell me a lot about where you're at. It always sounds like that. You know, I make the same noise all the time. Sorry. Whatever word's being used, it always sounds the same. 
But I'm going to ask you to examine your heart because you're acting like an unbeliever. And you don't have to get right with me. You love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then come back to me and love your neighbors yourself. It's not me that you need to worry about. It's your holy and righteous God who sent his son Jesus for us. And you know, there's only a small amount of time we've been given on the earth. It's not much. 60, 70, 80, 90 years perhaps. It's not a lot compared to eternity. And God is just encouraging us. We don't want to live our life with a chapter of the Bible of saying, yep, 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 yep. Hard heart, stiff neck. I mean, I've even met people that are proud of being hard-hearted and stiff-necked. They kind of wear it as a badge. It's just how I am. It's how I was born. It's how I've always been. But you were born again. There should have been something changing around there. You were born again, a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now I take joy in what God does in my life. I take joy in I'm not that man anymore. I was just um, sharing this story. Um, We're already out of time, so let's just keep going. So... I was just sharing this story in my life. Um, we got to go get the kids. But I, was, I don't know what, what, what reminded me of this, but it reminded me of the time where um, I used to be such a violently arrogant man uh, in, in my home, in my marriage, my apartment before I got saved that, that I would throw things and I'd punch holes in the walls. Well, sometimes I hit the wrong part of the wall and that would not work. But, you know, the doors are hollow so you can bang the door. You know, Marie would lock the door. She wanted to deal with me and my drunkenness, and I'd bang down the door, and there'd be a hole in there. And then Marie, being the gracious uh, wife that she was back then, um, she would move the pictures and move the things around the house to cover up the holes. And so if you came into our apartment, you know, we'd have weird places. Things would be in weird places <laughs> because, because of the violent arrogance that, that I demonstrated apart from Jesus Christ. But if you were to come to our home today or my office here or around here, There's no need to move the pictures. I don't punch holes anymore. I don't go around throwing things. God has put into me his spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And there there is a change in your life. As you start to think, you just need to be reminded of who you were. And maybe you don't have a bad testimony. Praise God, you don't need one. Okay, so you don't need one if you don't have one. But you can thank God for the bad person you weren't or the bad person you could have been had God not saved you at such a young age. It doesn't matter, young or old. We praise God for his faithfulness. and We don't want to be believers living like unbelievers. That should get us an amen. And we'll head out. So Father, we thank you uh, again for your word. And um, we just, uh, these, uh, this, this section in Kings, Lord, you know, you can read through it and we're like, I don't know what, what's in this chapter I don't know what's going to be pulled out. And yet by your spirit, you have a message and a word for us. And you want to lead us down a path of surrender and submission to you. You want us to wave the white flag of surrender. You you want us to be in a place of, of on our knees before you, desperate for a touch of your spirit, desperate for a place, Lord, at the table. We want to be like Mephibosheth, Lord. We just come to the table by grace. What, what else? We can't walk. We, we're lame. We're all messed up. Uh, we fight the battle all day. And then yet the king still calls us and says, bring that man to our table. I want to bless him. And I want to bless him for who he is, not for what he's done. And God, we just thank you for the blessings that you have for us. 
for what you've accomplished in our lives. And for those that the word came out today that, um, you know, are they saved? Like, that's a question they have to ask themselves. They have to ask themselves, are they really, truly saved? Have they really, truly repented of their sins? Have they really, truly acknowledged that they are guilty before a holy and a righteous God? That it doesn't matter what the world says, and it doesn't matter what the world approves of, and it doesn't matter uh, that that church over there teaches this and that church over there teaches that. It only matters of God what you have written down in your word for our sakes. Not for us as a church to be all hypercritical and judgmental, but rather for us as a church to be loving and caring and serving and reaching out constantly to the lost, constantly to our neighbors and our family. That we would, even, even when we're not talking to them, we'd be praying for them. Even when we're not inviting the church or listening to Ray, we'd be praying for them. That you would truly pour out your spirit among us in our city. That we would make a difference that revival would come. And so, God, we leave here encouraged by your grace and your mercy, just trusting you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.